Welcome to the search for real answers in a modern world, where challenging topics are met with honest and thoughtful dialogue. This is Truth Seekers Forum. Welcome to Truth Seekers Forum. In this episode, we'll be concluding our multi-part series dealing with the Apostles' Creed, I'm your host, Devin Cleffer, and joining me today in the studio is Pastor Andy Lewis from Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz. Hey, yeah. And also Dr. Adam Nye, professor of all things from all locations everywhere. (laughs) Welcome. Yes, good morning. That pretty much sums it up. Welcome to learn everything. Right, exactly. Gentlemen, we are wrapping up our multi-part series on the Apostles' Creed. As always, there'll be some questions that you don't have any prep for that may just come up along the way. There's obviously an encouragement for disagreement or pushback as and when needed. But let's go ahead and let's jump into this. We're in the final um, paragraph here of the Apostles' Creed. And Andy, you want to go ahead and just read that so we can kind of get an idea of what we're going to be discussing today. Yes, I will. But I was just thinking the disclaimer you just have been reading over these last five hmm. isn't exactly honest. Because, what part? Well, you know, the way we say I like... I am Devin Clefford. Well, no, no, that part's true. Okay. That part's true as far as I can tell. I am a professor. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So what are you talking about? No, more of the, uh, the you know, we talk about like, uh, you know, there's a, a p- opposing views and all okay. that kind of stuff like that. In this one, we're, we've actually just been for five... Uh, sessions agreeing then not not so much agreeing but just being able to try to present mm-hmm. this is this is a, a creed and here's kind of the basics of of what christians believe so anyway that's you've it. just thrown down the gauntlet for me exactly right. i know we, i know you're gonna come after me <laughs> this well one. you just disagreed with him so that shows that there well, is that's openness true. that is to disagree with check and check okay there you go so i'm just <laughs> i'm just illustrating the point okay. uh okay so we're gonna read the last part of uh the apostles creed and here's what it says I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. So first and foremost, what is this thing labeled the Holy Spirit? Go back to episode. I forget which one it is. We talked about the Holy Spirit, but we'll we'll talk about him again. It is interesting in the context of the creed, like we just read so much about the second person of the Trinity, right? Jesus Christ. And then you get to the Holy Spirit and there's just <laughs> boop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit. It, 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 the way the creed is structured, the stuff that comes after it is meant to be related to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Though, I mean, we would definitely not say that the, 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 the church is the Holy Spirit. It goes under sort of the heading. But in terms of what it has to say directly on the Holy Spirit, that's it. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe Spirit. our chips have been pushed in the middle of the table, and we're affirming that we believe. I mean, if talk we, about a minimal statement. We've been talk, I've, right, I've been using right. that theme of minimalism right. uh, yeah. in other places in the creed. This is like the most minimal uh, statement. Yeah, it doesn't really tell creed. us much about, well, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? We just believe that there is a Holy Spirit, right. um, even though the, the, the Bible does talk about the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but in terms of telling us who the Holy Spirit is, I mean, and this is something you do see in the early church, that like... There's a lot of biblical material to talk about who the Son of God is and what he has done and how he's related to the Father. And they clearly did, saw that there's enough to say that the Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of biblical material to say like a, as much as you could say about the Son, they're like, it's just not 
quite there. We have to confess that he is, you know, equal with the sun. Of course, in this creed, they don't really go into all that. Right. In other creeds, they'll go into that he's, you know, um, the Lord and giver of life and is to be worshipped and adored with the Father and the Son. Right. This creed doesn't even say any of that. Right. It just, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let's go down the path a little bit and yeah. talk about what may cause the hair on the back of some people's neck to stand up when they hear the word Catholic. What in the world? We're talking about the Holy Catholic Church here. What are we referring to? Well, first and foremost, I think it's important to understand that, you know, there has been some traditions of of being up in arms about Protestant versus Catholic. And I think first and foremost, before we weigh into this, is to say, well, hold, now hold on. There are people of the Orthodox strain of, of Christendom, the Protestant strain, the Catholic, um, and any others that we would add, who are from the the root of the church, who call on the name of Jesus. They have a, a pure and and um, soul devotion to Jesus Christ. So, you know, we don't want to weigh into the kind of the idea of like, well, Catholics, they're this, or Protestants, they're they're that. There's differences, but you know those there there are those in all of these streams of the Christian faith who do genuinely call on the name of Jesus Christ. However, when you read that, you're like, are they saying that it's the Roman Catholic Church that we believe in? Right. That's, right. That's kind right. of the, the yeah. question. And no, that's not what it's talking about. Adam, what is it talking about? I, so yeah, here's the place where there's room for disagreement. Um, I want. Oh, good. You're going to illustrate the point. I might yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I want to say in the. Um, in the yes, when we confess this church, uh, or sorry, when we confess the creed today, and we say, in the uh, you know one holy Catholic Church, um, we are speaking of the Church Universal. When you use the word Catholic with a little c, um, we mean Catholic just means that it means universal. That there is though we might talk about this church and that church and down the street or across the globe, you know, we have these different kinds of churches. We're confessing that all those, as you said, who call on the name of Christ are really part of one church. However, in the um, in sort of the ancient roots of this, they don't. There isn't a sense that you can speak of that um, in in abstract terms. There is one actual historical institutional church, and it does have um, early roots in Rome. And there, uh, there are earlier splits in that church than between Protestant and Catholic, or Protestant and Roman Catholic. East, West. And, right. Yeah. There are those, um, those splits, but um, the, 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 there is sort of a historical continuity between them all that does go back to a time when the church, um, the East will, the Eastern part of the church will definitely say that Rome never had a absolute authority over all places in the church, and I think. They ha- there's a viable argument to be made there, but it's definitely true that there was um, there was a uh, s- sort of center in cohesiveness in Rome in the sense that that was the center of the empire that the church um, originally grew in. So it was just sort of a place that people tended to um, refer back to, and um, uh, it-, it was a cultural, intellectual, and spiritual center um, of just. Uh, European culture at the time. So the church did have strong roots there. And so I would say going forward that for, 
evangelicals, Protestants, that bristle at the idea that this is referring to the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. I actually I take pretty strong issue with that. To 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 be right to be anti-Catholic. And this is going to sound really controversial. I mean it to sound controversial. I'll, I'll explain it. But I would say to be anti-Catholic is in, a, in an important sense to be anti-Christian. Um, now, are you thinking that that's coming – because I, I that's what I was trying to say. No, I, no, I, don't, I, don't, think, I okay. don't think you were saying okay. that at all. I, 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 more just sure. meant, yeah. I, I was more just disagreeing with the idea that the Catholic here doesn't have anything to do with the Roman Catholic. Yeah. I think it does have something to do with it. Mm-hmm. But you're right to say it. no, but it does mean something bigger than the Roman Catholic mm-hmm. Church. I just don't think it, it, that bigger is unrelated mm-hmm. to the Roman Catholic Church. That all, especially for Protestants, if, if, because we're a part of the Western strain of the church. Yeah. The Roman Catholic history is our history. Yep. Um, Whether and, we like it or not. Right. And the, the attitudes yeah. of some evangelicals that pretty much the church started at the Reformation we or even fixed later. All the theological mistakes we right. Protestants is kind of some of the attitudes yeah. of some people. Right? And so the right. idea that to be a yeah. Christian is to be not Catholic. When you yeah. have those right. two things put against each other, yeah. are you Catholic or are you Christian? It's like that's just a big misunderstanding yep. of the whole idea of Christianity in its historical dimension because yeah. Christianity is intrinsically historical. Yeah. You're a part of something that has a history Well, and to I, be a Christian. And even add yeah. to it, like a, a few weeks ago, there was this bombing of a Coptic Christian church mm. in Cairo, Egypt. Mm. And Coptic is another one of, you know, people, and there'd be evangelical Christians in America. It's like, what's a Coptic Christian? Is that right. a cult? No, it's actually part of, 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 you know. Their theology will probably be objectionable. As Roman Catholic, uh, sure. There's some elements aspects of, all of, of it. their theology yeah. is, uh, is objectionable sure. to Protestant. But that doesn't mean we say they're not Christian. Right. That means we have a theological dis- disagreement with our brothers and sisters. Yeah. yeah. But what this is getting at, and, and I think, you know, as Adam and I are trying to weigh in, in, in is that, and, and this is a critique, and it's an appropriate critique of those who are post-Christian, and even those who are some of the leading atheists. Who are some of them are hilarious, like <laughs> Dr. Richard Dawkins. Is like you, these people can't even get along. Hmm. So what does that you know? What does that even tell us? They're right. so divided, Catholic versus Protestant, you know, whatever. And it's and it's a it's a fair thing because we don't really understand what this is getting at. Is that it, at essence what we really do believe is there is a. There is an, a church, the Greek word for it is ekklesia, which doesn't mean church building. It's talking about a called out group of people. Mm-hmm. So that means you can be a called out group of people who love Star Wars movies. You can be an ekklesia of Star Wars. <laughs> hint, hint, for those who listen to unmistakablystarwars.com. We are that too, yeah. <laughs> um, or an ekklesia of Apple products, Apple computer <laughs> products. Um, there is an ecclesia that we're talking about that revolves around Christ, and it has varying different expressions with some of these basic things that this creed summarizes that they that they believe, and that's for all time, for all for all history, and we really are brought together in unity, and it's a good reminder to us to be people who do work together, even though sometimes there's strands of our theology that are a little bit different or divergent. Mm. We can still agree on the person of Jesus Christ and who he is and that there is a God, there's a Father, there's a Holy Spirit. This is is what this is getting towards because the church does go off the rails in division and divisiveness and anti-Catholic or anti-Protestant and Mm. all this stuff that's just – not really what we're about. Right. Right. And so so the next line of the, uh, the creed right after in the Catholic Church, the communion of saints, right. the way you just said, the, the church is not a building. It is a communion of saints. Right. So what that means to me is that once I call Jesus my Lord, not only have I sort of entered into and, and taken on some obligations in this sort of vertical relationship between me and Jesus, I've also 
bound myself to my brothers and sisters who also call him Lord. And so when when my brothers and sisters, maybe in a different country or a different uh, institution who meet at a different building or whatever, when they do something I don't like, um, of course, within your family, you're you're entitled to criticize actions. But the attitude of just like, oh, they have this different theology, so I'm just totally not a part of them. That's the thing where it's kind of like, well, then now I think you're you're undercutting the whole essence of the gospel. Yeah. That Christ came and bound himself to us, not because we had our theology straight or because we you know, mm. had anything straight. Yeah. But it's this right. binding of sinners yeah. together yeah. that once we have accepted that and bound ourselves to it, we... We confess a faith in in this one universal church that all those who call, even if they call him Lord in ways that maybe I think are problematic and I want to have some things to say about in debate, I still see myself as in debate with people that I am like made into this heavenly family with. Right. And I into just cut to see myself as just like, no, they're just something totally different from me. Is, yeah. I think at, at some very deep root to miss the whole essence of the gospel right. and to make the gospel as, and this is the, the temptation within the branch of Christianity we are a part of within evangelicalism um, to make Christianity more of kind of a disembodied idea. It, the idea, it's just sort of a thing I have in my, my personal little spiritual life with Jesus. It's my devotional time. I've, I've cut off that communion of saints element to it. Uh, or maybe I've just limited it to my little local community of saints and missed this creedal aspect that, no, that local community of saints is a part of the global community of saints, and that has to always be borne in mind. Yeah, and I think a you know, fair critique of Protestantism in, in some respects since the Reformation, we're still protesting. I think the last mm-hmm. I counted through three or four years ago, there's, there's now 33-plus thousand Protestant <laughs> denominations uh, so there's there is something within that stream of which we've admitted we're we're kind of part of it in this we are a part of it mm-hmm. um, as the stream we've come out of. There's something that anytime we kind of get into play, get it right, right, is to go. Wait a minute, you've got a lot of ego here. The church history goes back two thousand years to try to you know, I, and I think some of the other the other traditions do a better job of connecting themselves back. To the rich tradition of the the already the, the deep theological work that's already been taking place. Totally. So there's there's pros and cons to both. But this is talking about we are unified, like it or lump it, and it's better when you embrace it yeah. and work in the conversation. Which which doesn't eliminate uh, the protest. Uh, yeah, we all have a good the friend, conversation. We have a good friend named Rob who who loves to, to talk uh-huh. about that to say yeah. you know the problem with Protestantism is that you know we're always protesting. Yeah, and in in, uh, in conversations I love. With Father Rob, um, I always sort of say like, but I I think there are legitimately still things to protest, as long as the protest comes after, or comes between mm-hmm. <laughs> that before and after the protest is hugs and love and to say to right. these other parts of the church to say we are a part of the body of Christ together. Mm-hmm. Um, now within that, yeah, I think we should take our theology pretty seriously, and when there's things that need to be talked about, they need to be talked about. Um, I don't think, you know, conflict avoidance is a great way to establish a communion. But um, uh, so, yeah, in, in that sense, I'm not ashamed of the word Protestant. I'm ashamed of the division that has come from the from the protest. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Where it's kind of like, I'm going to take my my theological statement, my cup of coffee and go home and I'm not going to deal with you anymore. Right. That that's where this this speaks to what the scriptures say, which is, no, that's not yeah. that's not who we are. Well, let's continue on down the road a little bit, and we talk about the next line here, the communion of the saints. So there, there's 
two keywords in there mm-hmm. that we would probably benefit from further <laughs> clarification. Good point. One, um, Adam, you brought up communion, and then you touched on it as well, Andy. So are we talking about communion as in coming together as believers? Are we talking communion as in the act of communion that one would take during a service? I think, I think importantly, both. Okay. I think those two things are mutually uh, defining. Okay. And then when it comes to the term saints, to whom is that referring to? Yeah, anyone that the Roman Catholic Church has put into sainthood. <laughs> totally kidding. No, I mean, yeah, from I mean, from the New Testament perspective, when Paul writes to all the local churches, when he talks about saints, it's it, it is any person who has placed their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's a saint. They're the person who is also identified with Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Go ahead. It's the word saint. It, it has you know. Uh, Linguistic ties to holiness. It means like a holy one. One so set apart. Yeah. So it's somebody who's been made, somebody who has been set apart by Christ, who mm-hmm. has been made holy by Christ. And then yeah. probably where the question you were thinking too, there there are traditions, as we've been talking about, who have a another um, additional way of recognizing unique and special people that God has used at different, you know, for such times as these right? Um, throughout church history, you know, the Mother Teresa's and, you know, these, these kinds of individuals, and they do recognize, quote unquote, sainthood, um, right? Which, Within, yeah. I mean, but it, it, you're right. It's different, but it's, it's not radically different. I was just listening to uh, G.K. Chesterton wrote uh, biographies of two saints, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Francis of Assisi. Okay. They're both fantastic reads. Um, and, and he talks about what that means within the Roman Catholic, because he's a Roman Catholic, and talks about what that means for them to, you know, declare someone a saint. And they do some vetting. <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, really study the person's history and their life and their teachings. And they come to the conclusion that, like, um, for other Christians seeking to become more like Christ, we are helped by having examples maybe closer to us in history than Christ himself was to sort of say, this is an example of what it can look like to still be a sinner, mm-hmm. but to follow Christ. And that's all those churches that do that. Oh, when they hold up yeah. a particular saint, they're saying, if you need some examples to follow, not that are perfect. The only perfect example is Christ. Right. But this is an example of a sinner who took seriously the the life of following Christ, and you do well to look at them as an example. And I, I think there's something kind of healthy about that, as long as you don't let it become like, you know, they become sort of a sub-God. Yeah. It gets out, it does get unhealthy um, in places. Yeah. yeah. So when we're looking at this line again, communion of saints, we're just strictly, well, strictly perhaps not, but we are focused primarily on the coming together of saints, little s, those who believe in Christ. That's mm-hmm. correct, yeah. yeah. And from a pastoral point of view, Andy, let me throw this your way. Why do you believe that is so significant that it would be mentioned in here? Well, I mean, I think because there's just something within there's something within the human spirit that always tends towards being divisive, one way or the other. Whether it's like because it's funny how insecurity plays out in human beings. It goes to one extreme or the other, where you become more haughty because you're insecure, or you you think less of yourself because you're insecure. Um, and this, this speaks to the reality that we live in a, in an environment, not only before God, but before humanity, where God places us into uh, a church context where we get, it's, it's in the actual interrelationships with other human beings who are sinners and Mm -hmm. saints, like Mm -hmm. Adam was just saying, um, that these very concrete realities about God, things like mercy 
right? This is a concrete reality about God is merciful. However, that can be so theoretical and ambiguous until one enters into actual relationships with physical human beings who show mercy to you when you don't deserve it. And you're like, oh, that's sort of what, what that looks and feels like. Well, that that's why it's so important within um, not only just a local expression of a church, but even the wider Catholic, universal mm-hmm. church to understand Jesus Christ has exploded apart all these insecurities that go to one extreme of either, you know, I'm, I think way too highly of myself or I think way too lowly. I think too much of myself at all. Sure. I just enter into communion with people. And, um, and, and that's the kind of relationship that we've been inserted into. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's right on, on point. Yeah. So the next part, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting talking about our hope um you know here very soon uh we just we just lost a dear member of our church um who you know kind of an interesting story of growing up in a very extreme holiness movement almost sort of the to the edge of you know like snake handling kind Mm. of stuff Mm. and just rejected it you know as a child and then you know much later in life uh, a wife who's like, we should go to church. We need that. And all right, I'll do that to sort of support you. But then later on in life, after having grandkids, re reconnecting mm. and going, wait a minute, this faith is something that I need. And then, you know, sadly, you know, these are stories that we all run into cancer um, mm. and then going home to be with mm. the Lord and doing a memorial service. And, and these are the things that I'm going to be speaking to mm. that, this is an individual who knew they were forgiven of sins, and I prayed with them literally hours before they they took their last breath here, and then he opened his eyes and he saw Christ. Hmm. Um, the confidence of the resurrection of the body, I remember reading 2 Corinthians 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 about the confidence we have of what the resurrection body will be like, and the fact that life will doesn't end at the physical end of the body, but life everlasting. Th- this is what this is dealing with, you know, the, the, the hope that is beyond just this life. Right. That's what it's talking about. So I want to touch a little bit on the resurrection of the body. What, what does that look like? What does that actually mean? Will there be, when, when we die, will our physical body be resurrected? Yes. As, uh, and we're done. <laughs> Well, the, the same passage uh, Andy was talking about, I guess that was last episode, we are talking about 1 Corinthians 15, how mm-hmm. we are, you know, if Christ has not been raised, we are to be pitied above all men. Right. And the reason for that is because it's only because he's been raised that we know we will be raised. Mm, right. The reason we're to be pitied is like, if he just died, then we don't get this hope that we will be raised in this, just as he was raised. We will be raised physically mm. um, in, in glorified bodies. And, and Paul does go on. And say some things that are really like strikingly clear, and then go on and say some things. Where I'm like, whoa, that are quite mysterious. Yeah, now yeah. I'm not totally sure I fully understand yeah. this because it's like, you know, he talks about we'll, we'll die perishable, but we'll be raised imperishable. We're died, we die as sort of a you know a mortal body, but we're raised in a spiritual body. Where for some people, their definition of spiritual that would sound like an oxymoron. Mm-hmm. What's a spiritual body? Right. Is it a body or is it a spirit? Right. Mm. And, and Paul's like, well, this is both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I think that going back to his analogy is a really cool analogy. He goes, you know, here's how it's sort of here's how it's going to work. Mm. It, it it's concrete, but it's deeply mysterious, right. and it's going to work like this. It's like a seed. 
<laughs> you plant a seed, and every kid who plants a seed in elementary school, like a corn seed, he goes, it, the, the seed itself has its own unique, interesting glory as a seed. But then you, you plant it, and it mm. dies in the ground, and then it sprouts. And then there's the glory of this huge green corn stalk. And he says that is what happens with the resurrection. The, the resurrection. You have a body who is sown perishable, mm-hmm. and then it is raised imperishable. So there's actually a continuity. Right. This is important because if not, there's this thing called Gnosticism. <laughs> and, and It lies behind every problem we've been talking about. Yeah, like. yeah. yeah this idea is like, well, there's a spiritual, and that's, that, that's what really lasts, and that's what matters, but the physical doesn't. And that is not, that's not, 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 not mm. what the Bible is describing at mm. all. God is, I mean, he is... He has entered into, he's created the physicality. His son is, is God in human flesh. So the resurrection body is not just spiritual. It is, a, it is a resurrection of the physical body of a human being. To get into the, more of the specifics, you know, I mean, the best I could say is there's some things we see of Jesus's resurrection right. that we can say. But even that, it's, it's, it's hard to know if that's an exact you know, one-to-one correspondence of what our resurrection bodies will be like. You know, we hear about him appearing in a room where the disciples didn't see him, and then he was there. Um, we we read about him uh, being in the garden and the women recognizing him, uh, walking along the road to Emmaus, um, where at one point he's not recognized, and then suddenly he is recognized. Uh, we read him eating fish with, you know, so that's his in his resurrected state. But right. that, that's about... I don't know what, what else you would add, but that's kind of about the best of some of the things that we would know about our right. resurrection. Well, also, to be, I think, in context, we, we would see those resurrection appearances of Christ as this sort of odd, out-of-place appearance of glorified creation within still unglorified creation. Because right. it's only Christ's body that has been raised and glorified and, and perfected and giving us a glimpse of what we're headed to. But what we're headed to is something I, I want to actually say a bit more holistic that our resurrected bodies will come in a context of actually a death and resurrection of all creation. You sort of look in the book of Revelation, you hear like there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. You were talking about that before, right. that there is this newness. And we were speaking before of a newness uh, of justice and of peace and like where we don't see that in the world now. But it's also like I, I, a bit beyond that. It's not just a yeah. social dimension of newness. There, right. Revelation describes this thing that I, I hesitate to say anything expansive about, but it's just like our perfected and glorified bodies will um, will exist in a context in which all of creation, which is the home of our bodies, like our bodies are not independent things. Our, our bodies are contextualized things. We live in, in, a, uh, in a creation where I depend on other bodies around me. I depend on the food. I depend on the sun. I depend on, you know, um, and all of that is, is said to be taken up in this glorification and renewing. And, and so, yeah, what's the, the minimal things you can say about it are that there is continuity, but there's also this like perfection. Like what we're seeing now is like the shadow of mm-hmm. of, of the glorified perfection that's coming. Um, and th- this creed doesn't quite speak to that. It only speaks to the resurrection of the body. But uh, I think you take that in this larger biblical context, you can sort of say the resurrection of like all bodies, mm-hmm. of like the body yeah. of all creation. Yeah. So I've got to ask this question based on what you two have just described. Then when it comes to things like bodies being incinerated, whether in fire or for cremation. How does that work when it comes to this right here? 
Yeah, I know. It's an argument that people make. It's like, you know, uh, some some pa- people, even my own parents, you know, it's like, well, I want to be make sure I'm buried in a pine box, you know, because I want to have some kind of continuity with that. I don't know that there's anything necessarily in Scripture that says you can't be cremated. I mean, it, and then when you say, then you go, okay, let's let's state that, and then let's also add, let's talk about the saints who passed away, you know, in the first century, <laughs> right, right? Right. Well, I mean, Where's their uh, there's very, <laughs> you know, there's like probably like remains that would be like what a today's cremation would right. be of them. So we can't limit God's ability to, uh, by how we, our remains are buried <laughs> to God to give us a resurrection. Right. And there's some funny stuff in in the Middle Ages, especially if you read Thomas Aquinas on this. He like did he weigh in on that? Oh yeah, it, oh, really? in, in like crazy specificity. No kidding. Of what he thought, like because yeah, he did believe uh, all creation will be reduced to ash hmm. before sort of this resurrection. But it had to be like the ashes of your body, and and he specifies like now the the ashes of your toe don't have to go back into your toe. They can go into some other part of your body, but it has to be the same stuff. That's how detailed he goes. Oh, dude, it gets crazy. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and, and I just depart from it. I I actually really value the lengths to which he goes because behind it is just the sense that like it has to be really us. Mm-hmm. The problem is sort of like, well, then how do you like? Maybe I differ with him in, in terms of what defines what my body actually even is. Because one thing I that we know that he probably didn't is that even the cells that make up of your body are replaced like every seven years. There's not a single, there's no part of your body that is the same now that was the same seven years ago. So if you think that through in terms of resurrection, does does your, does the dirt that comes from your body, you know, as your body decays, does it have to be the same dirt? Does God have to find all the pieces that once made you up? So what, that question doesn't even actually make sense because we're not made up of the same stuff even mm. while we're alive. So to me, that suggests that God can, you know, just as Christ said, God can make sons of Abraham out of these stones, hmm. right? God can make me again out of whatever. Um, so that's, uh, that's yeah. you know, as, as specific as I would get in terms uh, of like— I, in fact, yeah. actually just had a, a person in our church just recently ask, is there a thinking about, you know, end-of-life type of issues about that question? Right. And, you know, this conversation is kind of where I led them to, mm. you know, God gives us the freedom— I don't, I don't, you know, there's nothing there that I can see in the scriptures that say, you know, you have to be buried, buried in a pine box in order to help God out with your resurrection. And actually that, so. that leads to, I don't know if this is the time for it, but it leads to like a sort of an overarching umbrella thought that I, I've kind of been keeping in my mind as we've gone through this, which is to say this whole section of the creed we've been talking about is importantly, because we've really moved into like the church, the communion uh, that, you know, and we've talked about the social elements of that, how we, what our responsibilities are to each other as Christians. But behind that, from the creedal perspective here is to say, all of this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Our our fellowship together, even though it, it doesn't remove any of our own activity, uh, that's exactly the domain of God's work. That as we seek to follow Christ, as we seek to love each other, as we... <laughs> As we enter into the glorious reality of our own forgiven sins, right? The, you know, the forgiveness of our sins. None of this we do for ourselves. The Holy Spirit is the one who's actually driving all this. Mm. And it's the and so to speak of the Holy Spirit at that point is to talk about that aspect of God in which all the stuff in the previous part of the creed, where Christ is doing all this stuff in our place, to talk about the Holy Spirit is to talk about, okay, now we go from talking about God in your place to like you 
in God's place, to how God takes you into what he's done yeah. in Christ and makes you a part of it. And you know, down to, yeah, the stuff that's going to be going on while you're alive and your fellowship with others, though that is an important part of the church's uh, historic creed to say that that communion of saints is not just with others who are alive. We are also in fellowship and communion with the saints who have gone before us. Right. Um, but then you reach into, yeah, the forgiveness of our sins. And then our everlasting life, our being raised from the dead. We don't have to worry about those details. It doesn't, like, I, I think I would be so bold to say, it doesn't matter what happens to my body after I die, whether it's contained in a box or the ashes are spread all over the globe. Mm -hmm. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the promise of God, the promise of, in, of the Holy Spirit that I will be raised with Christ. And so I can trust him to figure out the details of how that's gonna work, yeah. uh, just as I can trust him on... Um, every other aspect of my relationship with them. And I think to, 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 to hit that last phrase is like in the life everlasting is to know, I think even believers sometimes, if they don't understand the continuity between this life in a broken world and the life that will be everlasting, there can sometimes be a sense of, well, what's really going on? You mm -hmm. know, why, you know, this life, you know, what, what is it even for? And, well, it's, it's for the continuity of the life to come. I'm, I am today becoming, this, this day will involve a component of God making me into who I will be forever. Mm. And, and, and that's the confidence. And so knowing that then I will be translated into this place where I can see God face to face and not die in the presence of his holy, holy holiness, mm. but be able to commune with him. And then I love how Revelation talks about the new, the new Jerusalem will be this place where the kings of the earth will bring in their glory before God. And I go, oh, man, how many songs I wrote in this life that sucked, <laughs> you know? There was no good. Or <laughs> sermons that I wrote that were just like, eh, it could have been better. And to think about what's that's going to be like when I enjoy life everlasting and I can maybe, I don't know, I don't know what that would look like, but whatever it is, there will be purposeful work that I've enjoyed in this mm. life that's connected. Mm. It's connected to the life that I will enjoy forever indestructibly mm. without more mourning and dying and death and crying any, any longer. And I'll be able to bring the glory of the work I'm doing to, before God and hmm. God the Father, as he does now, looks down and he gazes and he smiles and he enjoys it, how much together we will enjoy that. Hmm. As it, it, It's not just sitting around plucking harps and eating grapes. It's there's this Darn it. I know. <laughs> it's playing Les Paul's and, yes. you know, yeah, and man. eating steak sandwiches. No, it's dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, it, I know this sounds funny, but I think it's important for us to get our minds wrapped around what our hope is. It's like, I can't wait to be in heaven and to hear the drums of believers who mm. you know have come to know Jesus in Africa with the the strange stringed instruments that that that, that you hear coming out of Asia mm. along with Edge who I understand is a is a believer playing his guitar with Bono leading <laughs> singing with and how that whole what what is that going to sound like mm. when it's rendered in perfection I mean, oh my gosh! More importantly, what would the ticket prices be? Right. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> well I think charged. what I, I what <laughs> yeah. I think I just heard you say is that in heaven, contemporary Christian music will finally go away. <laughs> so, sorry, I take yeah. that back. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's a trick. Yeah, yeah, you translated me correctly. Yeah. <laughs> Gentlemen, as we land the plane on this multi-part series, any final thoughts? Oh, it's hard to, you know, summarize final thoughts, but yeah, just the. The way this creed together does uh, – what I've experienced just in, in recording these podcasts is thinking through 
who God is slash what he's done for us to include us in his own love and glory and eternal life. It's, yeah, it is. As Andy was talking about before, it's just the opposite of dead, dry dogma. Hmm. It is life-giving um, to think through who God is and to really dwell in the extents of his love. And the ex- and this, um, C.S. Lewis has an essay that became the title of a book called The Weight of Glory. And, oh, yeah. And, and he just talked about how when you really think about what God's promising us, it's it's overwhelming to the point of actually kind of being like it's it's scandalous. I cannot believe God's actually offering me this. Yeah. It, it's it almost seems unbecoming of Him to to glorify His creation in the way He has promised to do, or the way He has accomplished, and has promised to one way one day make fully visible. Uh, it's uh, I, it's a extraordinarily life giving thing. I think to dwell in. These truths that that the um, that God has passed down to us through His Church in the form, you know, of things like a creed that sounds so dusty and dry, that mm. can be so exciting. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's my my heart is that a believer who can have the tendency to just kind of go, oh ho hum, you know, I just do my life, and oh yeah, I've got Jesus. It's like no, <laughs> I mean, you've been given abundant life, and it and it ends up in an eternity uh, that's going to be glorious. So that's that to a believer to really think through these things. But secondarily, it's to the person who doesn't believe, who is tempted to to assume, eh, you know, it's just a bunch of, you know, religious things and they're forced to believe it. And and I hope if you've if you've been patient enough to listen through this that you can hear that this stuff is deeply meaningful. I mean, it's changed my life. I know it's changed Adam's life. I know it's changed your life, Devin. Um, that there, but for the grace of God, I mean, um, I, I just want somebody who doesn't yet believe to kind of just listen thoughtfully and understand this isn't just something that's just being forced on people and it's just this dead thing. Mm. It, it changes people's lives and it can change yours. Mm. Great. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode of Truth Seekers Forum. Truth Seekers Forum is a production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To learn more about Truth Seekers Forum or Faith Community Church, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.